Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, the last day of November, the 30th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And for this day, we are going to be taking a look at a reading from the second Sunday in Advent. Now, everybody knows Advent normally is talking about the coming. That's what the word Advent means, the coming of our Lord Jesus in the Bethlehem stable. But as we indicated in the sermon yesterday, Advent means a number of times he has come. Yes, he came in the Bethlehem stable, but the Bible also refers to his coming into your heart at your baptism or when you came to faith by reading the word or hearing the word. And then, of course, there's a coming that will take place on Judgment Day. So those are the three main comings. But yesterday's sermon talked about how God comes to us each and every day. How? Nothing happens to us that is not according to his will, and his promises are always in effect. Now, last Sunday, first Sunday in Advent, the Old Testament reading was from Isaiah. Now, what's got Isaiah talking about for Advent? That didn't come, did it? Not until Jesus was born. But no, Isaiah prophesies his coming in the reading. It was from Isaiah 64. And I just want to read a few of the parts because the law is being expressed. And what do I mean by the law? The law is God's word that should make you fear God because of sin. So Isaiah says, Oh, speaking to God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, that the nations might tremble at your presence. Behold, you were angry. And we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? Question mark. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind that take us away. And at the end of that section... Verse 9 of Isaiah 64, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. So that was the reading for the first Sunday in Advent. And it was an Advent reading because the first verse is, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Rend the heavens means separate them and come down. And it reminds me of the baptism of Jesus, where the heavens were rendered by the voice of God the Father. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And remember, the Holy Spirit came down from the heavens and alighted upon Jesus in the form of a dove. So Isaiah is looking forward to the advent of our Lord. 
but it's pretty strong with law about our sins and pleading that God would forgive us. This week's reading for the second Sunday in Advent is also from Isaiah. Uh, The first reading was from Isaiah chapter 64. This reading is from Isaiah 40. And look how it begins. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Now, what warfare? Well, I like those first two words, comfort, comfort. I often speak about when I get ready to do a sermon, there's two goals I have in every sermon. I always like to say something that most of the congregation have never heard before. And I get that from taking a closer look at the Hebrew or the Greek, depending on the text, and find something that may be in the English, but it's just not that clear. And that's very easy to do every week. But the second goal of every sermon, even though there is law proclamation during the sermon, accusing us of not meeting the requirements of God, the other goal is that the sermon ends on a note of comfort. I've spoken quite a bit about how I was criticized by a professor at the seminary who was a member of my congregation, Dr. Charlemagne, for having what he referred to as salad or French endings. And I didn't know what he was talking about, and he explained it to me, that even though in the sermon there would be good gospel, I often would end the sermon with words like, therefore, let us, or may we, may we do the will of God. And he said, you put me right back under the law. And so I I don't use those endings and like to end on a comfort, which we're going to hear right now. What's the comfort? What's the warfare that God wants Isaiah to speak about that is ended? It's in verse 2. Her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, this is how we speak to Jerusalem. Remember, the pronoun she is used because we're looking forward to Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride. And we have had our sins not only pardoned, but we have received from God's hand double items for all our sins, double blessings. In other words, God's promises are always sure. Well, what a different kind of attitude is Isaiah 40 than Isaiah 64. Remember in Isaiah 64, Behold, you are angry, and we sinned, and shall we be saved? Well, Isaiah 40, God says, 
No, you are pardoned of your iniquity. Your warfare is ended. What warfare? Well, warfare against Satan, for example, as he attempts to tempt us to sin, like he tempted Jesus a whole number of times. And warfare against our flesh and warfare against the world. In fact, as I talk to a lot of our listeners who have decided to become Lutheran, one of the reasons is, is that the burden of having to obey the law in order to be saved is over. That warfare is ended. It's not that they don't want to obey the law, and it's not that they don't obey the law occasionally through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just that such obedience has nothing to do with their becoming saved because you can't even obey the law properly with the right motivation, love for Jesus, apart from being totally saved. Remember, at your baptism, you received two gifts, the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. And those gifts are even available for your infants as well as for Gentiles. So how does God comfort us? Verse 3 is another prophecy. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, the readings for Advent often focus on John the baptizer. Why? Because he was the preparer. He was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And how did he prepare for the coming of Jesus? Well, Jesus himself says what is his mission in Mark. He says, repent and believe the gospel. John the baptizer did a baptism of repentance. And even Jesus underwent it, even though John kind of criticized him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, no, it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. That is, at that point, Jesus became sin, sin for us, so that on the cross, he died as the greatest sinner in the world because on his shoulders were the sins of every person. So, what is the task of John the baptizer? Nobody's going to receive treatment for an illness until they hear the diagnosis. What's wrong with me? Like, let's say uh, a bee stings you in the arm. No doctor says, well, we'll have to amputate the arm. No, you, you wouldn't go along with that. But you would take the proper treatment that is meant for a sting in the arm, uh, even though it might be blistering and causing you pain. In, in other words, the treatment is what Jesus brings. The diagnosis is what John the baptizer brings. In his preaching of repentance, 
he would point to different vocations. Like the soldiers, he didn't tell them to stop killing. No, that's the task of a soldier in defending a country against wartime criminals. But when they become victorious, they are not to go and steal and plunder from those they have conquered, but be content with their wages. So what John the baptizer did is he preached the law in such a way that people recognized that they were unable to do anything to save themselves. And that's why John the baptizer talks about, well, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, and he will bring you forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that baptism of repentance work? It's verse 4 of Isaiah 40. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Now, we can't understand God if he would speak his own way of speaking, because it's way too deep for us. As Isaiah says, the ways of the Lord are not our ways. So God often uses metaphors in order to explain what his will and work is. It's talking about human beings. Those who are in the valley will be lifted up. There are human beings who really worry about salvation because they don't think they have sufficient works. And therefore, John the Baptist's message is really a comfort to them that God recognizes they can un that they are unable to do sufficient works. So they're kind of lifted up, whereas every mountain and hill, these are people who are self-conceited and look to their own righteousness, self-righteousness to be saved. They may say things like the unbelieving Pharisee, thank God I'm not like that tax collector because I follow the ceremonial laws as though following those outward laws saves anybody. Nobody is saved. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Jesus talks about that a little bit when he says there's two ways. There's the wide road to perdition and the narrow road to salvation. And the wide road is what every religion in the world practices, doing good works in order to save themselves. The narrow road looks in faith to what Jesus worked, and therefore our sins are forgiven. Verse five, uh, 4 of um, Isaiah chapter 40. It was actually verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's the glory of the Lord? Well, it would be obviously his birth. The angels sang songs to the shepherds who came and saw the glory of the Lord. 
they worship the baby in the cradle. And they didn't see a halo above his head. There were no angels at the stable or where Jesus was born. He was lying in a manger, and they worshiped him. He looked like any other child, but through faith and hearing what the angels had to say, they worshiped him, as did the wise men, who referred to him as the king of Israel. So that was the glory of the Lord. And then who has not heard of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, many people do not understand why he was crucified. Some say, well, he got in trouble with the Romans. Or others say, no, it was the Jews who crucified him. And they don't realize that the person who crucified him was actually God the Father. And he did so. And that's found in Isaiah also, that the Father laid on his Son the iniquity of us all. And so his coming to the cross was another occasion when Jesus is glorified. And of course he's glorified when you come to faith through hearing his word. Verse six, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but, and here comes the gospel, the word of the Lord will stand forever. When I, when I hear that, I'm thinking of the words of Jesus that will stand forever. Uh, remember, there was a thief who had done crimes who was crucified with Jesus. And he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. What was the word of the Lord? Today you shall be with me in paradise. Because that's what happened on Good Friday. When Jesus died, his words tell us, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. His spirit went to the Father. His body went to the ground. But the spirit of the thief also went to heaven. We call that the interim, the time between you die and the time when judgment day occurs and your body rejoins with your spirit. In other words, the thief did not doubt that he would be with Jesus in paradise that day. And that's how the word of our God will stand forever. Lazarus didn't doubt that, or Mary and Martha, when the word of the Lord from Jesus came to him and he arose from the dead. Now, yes, he died again, but he also will rise in the resurrection. So God is now speaking to Isaiah, who says, what shall I cry? 
get you up on a, to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Now see, Jerusalem, Zion, was built on a mountain. That's why when people went to Jerusalem, they always say, well, I'm going up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter where they were coming from, the north, the south, the east, or the west. They were always going up to Jerusalem because it is at Jerusalem where Jesus was taken outside the city. And we remember the sacrifices that the people of Israel did during their 40 years in the wilderness, taken outside the camp. And that was emblematic of Christ being taken outside the camp and crucified for us. And that occurred at Zion, at Jerusalem. And what was Isaiah to say to the cities of Judah? Remember, the cities of Judah were those that were taken into Babylonian captivity, brought back, rebuilt the temple, and that remnant, that's the cities of Jerusalem. What is Isaiah to say to them? Behold your God. Now, even the disciples were often only on the milk of the word. Jesus would do miracles, and they really didn't understand who he was. Even when Peter said, thou art the Christ, Jesus said, well, saying that came from the Father. And then remember Peter said, no, you will not die in Jerusalem. We'll be with you. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Satan was using Peter to tempt Jesus not to be crucified. But that's why he came. In other words, when Jesus was on the cross, he was God. That was obvious from the thief who asked him to remember him. It was obvious from the Roman centurion who referred to Jesus as the one who was Christ, the God. And it was obvious to Thomas. By the way, the first time a disciple referred to Jesus as God was Thomas when he saw him resurrected on that second Sunday, behold my Lord and my God. Jesus is God. Verses 10 and 11 ends Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Now that's the arm is Jesus. Remember, he's at the right hand of God. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That's referring to the blessed gifts that Christians who have faith receive. The forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness. And now we go to another metaphor, a very important metaphor in the New Testament. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. 
What does that remind you of? Well, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. And the Luke 15 passage about the lost sheep is he takes the lamb in his arms and puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. That's what Jesus did for you. You were lost and condemned, born in iniquity. But Jesus tends you like a shepherd, and he gathers believers as lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In other words, even infants are brought into the kingdom of God. So Isaiah 40 is really a tremendous passage following last week's Isaiah 64 that emphasized sin. But here we are comforted by the fact that the gospel is preached so well through Isaiah 40 that we are comforted by what God has done for us. As indicated, During the first weeks in Advent, we talk a lot about John the Baptizer. And so the hymn for tomorrow's Law and Gospel, I'm Tom Baker, and I'll be with Mark Smith, is on Jordan's bank, the Baptist cry. So we'll be able to speak more about that. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.